Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 147. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. Here to discuss Avengers Endgame. So we have the new Black Widow film is coming out very shortly. And as Jackie put it to me, how better to celebrate her own film than talking about the end of her storyline? And that is what we are here to discuss today. It's so... like. This movie was such a thing when it came out. Nearly $3 billion at the box office. 22 films leading up to it. It's hard to believe that this movie's already a couple of years old. I feel like it just came out, like, within the last year. Which is weird because we didn't, we couldn't go to the movies for a year. But I feel like this movie just came out. Probably because this is one of those films that if you stop and catch it on TV, because believe it or not, this one is still circulating. Disney Plus is not the only place that it can be found. Like, I catch this on TNT all the time. A lot. But, spoiler alert, I love this film. So, even if I pop it on and it's in the middle of the movie, I will sit and watch the rest of it. But it still feels so new. And I've waxed poetic on this show before about the experience that was being in the movie theaters seeing this on opening night. And it was the equivalent of being at any playoff game for any of your favorite teams. People were loud. They were screaming. They were clapping. They were cheering. They were crying. They were high-fiving. They were hugging. And I think that that's why this seems so fresh because just going to see it in the theaters that night was an experience, you know, in and of itself. There was nothing like it. And that's why, you know, for the past year, we've talked about the importance of supporting movie theaters so that we don't lose them. It's for reasons like this. Like, yes, there's something nice about going and seeing a film on the big screen with the surround sound, enjoying a nice bucket of popcorn. But really, it's the communal sense of watching a film and enjoying it with other people. Right. But especially when you have these franchise films and you go on the first night with the diehards, there's nothing like that. I mean, honestly, I would, we were fortunate enough when the Islanders were still in it, God help us, to see them play a winning playoff game. And I would compare seeing the experience of seeing the Avengers Endgame in, in the theater to that playoff hockey game. Yeah, and it's no joke. And I'm not, I'm, that's not to diminish how I felt about the Islanders when they were winning. But I mean, I mean it in the sense of that's how exciting Avengers was. Yeah, I mean, like, not for anything. Nothing is going to necessarily overtake the 13,000 lunatics that were screaming at the Coliseum during Game 4 against Tampa, especially after Ryan Pollock made that save to save the game for us. But if I were to compare it to anything, as insane as this sounds, and I I feel like you kind of just had to be there, the closest thing I could compare it to, non-sports related, of course, would be going to see Avengers Endgame, which is the film that we are here to discuss today. This review is sponsored by the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Products include Disney and Pixar-inspired 3D straw charms. Listeners of Monorail can get a 10% discount with the code MONORAIL10 at checkout. Visit Instagram. Definitely visit Instagram because at the time of this recording, Hidden Mickey Supply Co. is down in the parks right now. They're taking new product shots. It's very exciting, so you can stay tuned for those. Uh, You can search for them on Etsy as well. 
and you can shop for all of your straw tarm needs at a discount. That's right. Picking up right after the snappening, Tony and Nebula are stranded in space but are discovered and rescued by Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel, and brought back to the Avengers campus. We learn that Thanos eliminated 50% of all living creatures 23 days prior, and Tony blames Captain America for their defeat. Tracing power sources Captain America, Captain Marvel, Black Widow, War Machine, Thor, Rocket, Hulk, and Nebula track Thanos down and plan to reset the Earth back to normal, but they learn that Thanos destroyed the Infinity Stones in order to keep his plans in place and is soon after killed by Thor. Five years later, Scott Lang, thanks in part to a rat, returns from the Quantum Realm to find the world in shambles. He arrives at the Avengers campus and explains to Natasha and Steve that he was stuck in the realm for what felt like five hours and that time works differently in the Quantum Realm, when in fact we know he's been in there for five years. He suggests manipulating time and space in the realm to go back to a world before Thanos executed his plan. They pitch the idea to Tony, who doesn't want to give up his life with Pepper and their daughter Morgan. Instead, they recruit Bruce Banner, who is now permanently the Hulk, to try and help them figure this out. Tony, meanwhile, figures out how to use the quantum realm to travel through time, so he heads to the Avengers campus to help Natasha, Steve, Bruce, and Scott with their time heist, as they're calling it. Bruce and Rocket head to New Asgard to recruit Thor and find that he is drunk, depressed, and out of shape. He is reluctant to go with them, but eventually agrees to help, mostly because they told him there was beer on the ship. Meanwhile, in Tokyo, Clint is a cold-blooded vigilante who is tracked down by Natasha and brought back to the campus as well. Upon a successful test run, using their limited supply of PIM particles, they realize that their time heist plan is feasible. They divide into three teams to retrieve the uh, uh, Infinity Stones. In New York, Tony, Banner, Steve, and Scott pursue three stones, while on Asgard, Thor and Rocket pursue the Reality Stone, and on Morag, War Machine, and Nebula attempt to steal the Power Stone, but she is... But she reveals that earlier versions of herself, Thanos, and Gamora are pursuing the stones as well. However, the 2014 version of Nebula, because this is taking place, believe it or not, in 2023. That's actually when this movie is taking place. Um, and the, 2020, uh, the 2014 version of Nebula shows a projection of the 2013 version as she and War Machine pursue the stone tipping Thanos off, because remember now, we are traveling through time. Back in New York, Bruce and Steve get the Time Stone, the Mind Stone. However, Tony and Scott lose the Space Stone, which is stolen by Loki, and actually that is where the Loki television series uh, takes off. Thor and Rocket get the Reality Stone, War Machine gets the Power Stone, but Nebula is taken by Thanos. Meanwhile, Tony and Steve travel to 1970 and head to Camp Lehigh, where they retrieve more Pym particles as well as an earlier version of the Space Zone. On Vormir, Natasha and Clint go after the Soul Stone and quickly learn that one of them won't return. Natasha sacrifices herself and Clint obtains the Soul Stone. With all of the stones collected... Tony builds a new gauntlet, and Bruce puts it on and snaps everyone back. But 2014's version of Nebula has tracked them down and led Thanos and his army directly to them, and the campus is destroyed. 
They did that by bringing them in through a quantum tunnel. Gamora decides to help present-day Nebula defeat Thanos because she knows basically the genocide that he is about to commit. But they first kill the 2014 version of, ne of Nebula and prevent her from delivering the stones to Thanos. Stark, Thor, and Steve fight Thanos, and Steve shows himself to be worthy of Thor's hammer. As hope seems lost, reinforcements arrive in the form of literally every single Avenger. Scott and Hope attempt to get their old van working as Thanos has destroyed that quantum tunnel that he arrived in, as all of the stones must be returned to their rightful place in time so as to not throw off just time in general. Meanwhile, Captain Marvel arrives to aid them, but is stopped from entering the quantum realm as Thanos destroys the new tunnel. Tony eventually gets the stones and snaps Thanos and his army out of existence, dying in the process. A memorial is held for Tony, and after, Steve returns the stones, but he himself does not reappear. Instead, he returns as an old man and gives the Falcon, his shield, to become the new Captain America. It is revealed that he then went back in time, and instead of coming back to present day, he stayed in the past to be with Peggy. You're welcome. No, I gotta give you props, because you took a very complicated film, and you managed to condense it and summarize it, and it still makes perfect sense, but... I cannot wait to unpack this because we've reviewed Avengers, Age of Ultron, and Infinity War on the show before. We had our friend Pat come on for Age of Ultron, who you know as our great movie right intro voice. Uh, and then we had the dopey dudes come on with us for Infinity War. And as much as I watched and rewatched Avengers, and it was my jam, and I was all about Iron Man at the time, admittedly, I felt out of my depth. Like, I knew that I know what I was talking about, but compared to Pat, who has read every comic and can retain information like you would not believe. I mean, well before people were coming on TikTok and deep diving into the Avengers and all of the comic books and the entire MCU, you know, he, he was the go-to. He's a Marvel encyclopedia. And Frank and Jimmy from the Dopey Dudes... The same thing. Exactly. Basically, it's the same thing. Exactly. So as the token female in all of this, as much as I'm a fan, I, I you know, I didn't feel like I was going to be able to hold my own. But I went back. I re-listened to those episodes. I was very proud of us because we made a lot of accurate predictions. And now I'm so ready to attack this one because I have a bunch of questions and theories that I came up with all by myself without the help of TikTok. So I'm, I'm ready to go here. Okay. Starting at the very beginning, can you think of a more brutal open than Clint losing his entire family? You know, I didn't see it coming at all. And I should have. Because we spent a lot of time when we reviewed Age of Ultron. I actually didn't like that scene. Where they went back and, you know, they were showing our heroes in this... Like witness protection farmhouse... Yeah, and I was like, I didn't need all this domesticity with the Avengers. I mean, right. it was an interesting angle for Hawkeye that he has a family because you know him and Nat are the assassins. And that's kind of all you need to know is that that's how they came up and this is what they do. And where they don't have superpowers, they're just very, very good at what they do. 
And it definitely adds another layer to the character, seeing that he has something that's worth fighting for. So we had said when we reviewed it, it's great that they did give us the backstory. As jarring as it is against everything else going on in Age of Ultron, rather than give Hawkeye an entire film and have to fill at least 90 minutes, you got the little taste of it. And I was never really a fan of Hawkeye, but... This opening scene gives Age of Ultron so much more context, and I would have never felt so bad for Hawkeye without seeing the backstory, without seeing his family, and, you know, the fact that he lost all of them. I mean, obviously everyone has lost something, but the fact that they wiped out his whole family, I mean, they really started with a, with a soul crush here. Yeah, it's, it's brutal. Because 50% of all living things, a lot of families were just wiped out in totality. But that's almost more humane than leaving one because none of them know that they're gone. Exactly. You know, to have just one and to have it go for five years. And we'll talk about his transformation in a little while here and how he becomes this vigilante. But um, definitely a brutal way to start. Almost as brutal as the sound mixing. Because <laughs> that was... Oh. it's really bad in the beginning um it's weird because like when it's bad it's kind of bad for the whole film but it was really just bad in the beginning here and then it got better for the most part slightly the problem is that like there were just there are scenes where you've got to turn the television up to hear the dialogue because you can't hear what people are saying because it sounds like they're speaking at a whisper and then because this movie likes to throw you on your head and just hit you with action the room that they're standing in will explode, and all of a sudden, it's like... It's way too loud. It's way too loud. I think part of that is because these films are being mixed for the theater experience, which is obviously not the same, even if you have a home theater. But you, you can't rush them out for that reason. You have to remix it so that the exact thing that happens where you're riding the volume on your remote throughout the entire film doesn't happen. Before we move on, what Marvel did brilliantly with this scene too. I mean, yes, they went for the jugular. There's no question about it. There was so much hype around this trailer and so much speculation. Is it Tony? Is it the cap? Is it Tony? Is it the cap? We knew we were going to lose one of them. And they even went so far. Do you remember they planted that fake scene in the trailer where they're all carrying the coffin? Yes. So our focus is so much on that scene and, and, I think everybody was pretty much in agreement that they were going to start with a big death in this film. And that's what you're waiting for, that this just totally caught you off guard. And you kind of forget that Hawkeye wasn't in that final battle in Infinity War. He had gone back to be with his family. So you totally forget where he is. Yeah, that's true. Um, Now you get Tony and Nebula in space. It's funny, but it's sad at the same time because you know that they're stranded. Here comes Carol... You know, Captain Marvel, she gets them, she brings them back. I lost the kid. When he sees Steve Rogers and he says, I lost the kid. And we know he's talking about Peter Parker. This to me is, it's as brutal as watching Hawkeye lose his entire family. Because we know that Tony cares for Pepper and he cares for Happy. But remember, we have not yet seen him with a child. And the way that he becomes sort of like a paternal figure 
to Peter Parker. It's just... I, I, it's as brutal. In fact, it may even be more brutal because while it's such a shame and it's so heartbreaking watching this family and these young children evaporate into dust, you don't have the emotional connection with Hawkeye the way you do with Iron Man, the way right. that you do with Tony Stark. And in many ways, I almost feel like that makes it worse. Almost, but it doesn't necessarily land as hard because we've seen him vulnerable in the scene prior where he's leaving his goodbye message in the right. helmet. So I want to circle back to his time on the ship with Nebula. What I love is that everything in this scene serves a purpose because yes, they're playing their football game just to pass the time and it shows that they've bonded and she's just trying to keep him occupied and, you know, trying to make the best of what she thinks are going to be his final day. I mean, she knows they're going to be his final days until a miracle happens. Um, but it's not just a, it, it's not wasted that they're playing this game because he's had all this practice flicking the football and then where do we see that again? He has to flick Ant-Man later. So I like that it doesn't seem like a lot is happening, but it does serve the bigger picture. So then we see him leaving his goodbye message to Pepper. This was a reveal in the trailer. And I didn't really believe it then that this is how he was going out, just alone like that, because we've seen him do this before with the goodbye messages to her. Uh, in Iron Man 3, he, when he lands uh, on the farm and he's rebuilding the suit in the garage, yeah. he calls her and leaves her a message. And it's sort of that, I don't know if, I'm, if and when I'm coming back type of thing. Uh, then when he jumps on the, um, the spiral spaceship with, uh, with Spider-Man, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's like, I'm sorry, I know I promised you, but I'm going up again. Yeah. Uh, so... It's kind of been there, done that. And as, as nice as it is to see him vulnerable and being real with Pepper, I didn't buy it. And that's why I feel like I lost the kid doesn't necessarily land as hard. I actually interpret that a little bit differently because to me, I thought it was amazing that before even getting to Pepper, his concern was updating the cap on what was happening. And it was, I, I tried, I couldn't get him. And, and Steve is, I tried too. Um, and I think that that speaks leaps and bounds to Tony's character because, as you said, he doesn't have a kid yet, but he's being completely selfless. He's not going over to his partner to comfort her. He's not thinking about himself in any way. The only way that he's thinking about himself is because he feels like he failed. So I think that this is a big, big step for him. Yeah, Um I, and I think that you're right. There's validity to that. This is less about, perhaps less about losing Peter Parker and more about not being able to stop Thanos. Rocket and Nebula reuniting in this scene is really sweet, With, too. Uh, holding the hands. Yeah. Yeah, you kind of, um, I feel like that gets glossed over. Um, I think that for them to come as far as they have, because we still don't have Guardians 3. We only have two Guardians films. Um to get to that point, I think it, it was definitely a big step for them. And I'm excited and kind of curious to see where they're going to take this moving forward. No, and it's sad because 
even though they're not that close in the films, they are the only ones left from their found family. And they recognize that. And it's just this beautiful exchange with no words. Yeah, I've, well, that's the thing. And he's animated. I mean, let's, it's an animated character. Rocket's an animated character. So you have this this creature that, that doesn't really exist interacting with Karen Gillan. And, like, she's she pulls it off, but the animation on Rocket has always been really good. But just seeing the sorrow and the sadness in his eyes, it's a very, very powerful scene. You're, you're absolutely right. Um, so now you have this really heated exchange between Captain America and Tony Stark. And to the point where Tony is so hysterical, he passes out. Um, and he rips an IV out of his, out of his arm. Um, I go back and forth with this. Like, we've seen this. We've seen this power yes. struggle with them before. And as you just pointed out, when he gets off the ship, the first thing he says is, I lost the kid, and he starts filling him in on everything that happened. And it's almost like, I thought for a moment that that was going to be the opportunity to them for them to really mend the fence and, like, they would be there as a support system for each other because, quite honestly, they've never really been a support system for each other. I mean... He he tells him, you know, everything special about you came out of a bottle. You know, like, I feel like we've been there, done that already. And I didn't necessarily think we were going to get more of that. I agree with you. I don't think this is necessarily a power struggle, though. I think they're both in equal measure beating themselves up over not being able to to finish this as is Thor who's sitting sulking in a corner who doesn't even have words he hasn't even said hi to Tony yet yeah uh like a you know glad she didn't die right um I think this is more about they both feel equal responsibility they're both beating themselves up and they don't know how to support each other but for as much as we've seen it and it's been there done that the entire mending of the fence and building this trust throughout the rest of this film between them is beautiful. And I love that we finally get the relationship between the two of them that we've been waiting for three and a half movies at this point to see. Um, what I love too in this scene is the comic relief, the hazing of Captain Marvel. Yes. Yeah. When we finally get her in here because she's never interacted with them before. Um, and I think that... Brie Larson, as a very talented actress, but now you have this room full of superstars, and I th I felt that she held her own, and I didn't feel like she was out of place because I know a lot of people did not love her in that role. They were a lot of people were sort of harsh in her portrayal, and they felt that maybe she didn't emote enough, and she was a little one dimensional, and she was a little too sarcastic. I thought she was great as Captain Marvel personally. And I think that putting her into that room with all of these other personalities, I think it melded very well. I think where that comes from, and I'm glad that you brought this up, is because Brie Larson got very mouthy when she was promoting this film. And people sort of took that the wrong way. I mean, she's got a lot on her shoulders. You know, she's one of the few Marvel females with her own film. 
up to this point up yeah. to this point until black widow yeah she was she was the first female who carried the entire film right um and she recognized that but there were a lot of interviews where she would get very preachy and i think what people love so much about marvel is that the actors love their characters so much I don't think that there's a single person who was cast that didn't already love the comic books and know the source material and really fight to audition for their part. And you see them at these comic cons and they've been in these movies together for almost 10 years now. And then they're doing press and promoting the the last film. So they're all having a great time and they're ribbing each other. And much like in this scene, Brie Larson is the new girl. I don't know if it's that she didn't get along with them, although I've heard some things about her, so it might have been that. But there wasn't that same sense of camaraderie. Now, to be fair, she hasn't had 10 years with them. Right. You know, she was in a movie with Mark Ruffalo, but she was like 13 years old at the time. It was 13 going on 30. He didn't even know her at that point because they didn't have any scenes together he didn't realize until the premiere of endgame that he had worked with her already huh and somebody said it to him on the red carpet so with that said you know it's like any situation you're starting a new job where everybody's a veteran player and they all know each other you know it it must have been difficult for her coming in now, should that have translated over to the screen? No, not necessarily. And I don't know if that was done intentionally or not. But as far as this scene, they handled it well. And, you know, Thor kind of softens it because when he calls for Mjolnir, it flies past her head and he's like, I like this one. Right. Um, and then we go to Planet Thanos because he has used the stones again. And this is now 23 days after the initial event. Um, And we get to this planet. It's amazing. Like, it is a beautiful set. This is one of, and you're not there for very long, but I think this is one of the more impressive sets that we've seen in the MCU. I guess if I had to compare it, I thought it was Wakanda, because to me it looks kind of similar to where Bucky was when he was on Wakanda. Mm -hmm. I know it's not. But, um, yeah, I mean, he he's, did exactly what he said he was going to do. He wanted to create a place that was teeming with life. But what I thought was so interesting is that he finally got what he wanted, but there's no one to rule. And it seemed like it was about power and control for so long. But I think it's such an interesting dynamic because maybe he was telling the truth that he just wanted peace. Yeah, in a very weird twisted sadistical way oh yeah you went about it all wrong there's no question about it but ultimately we find him in the exact place that he should be yeah alone in a house on a beautiful planet and we see that he is injured we don't know why of course not not initially and then the most helpless feeling of all time because now here come the remaining Avengers, and Thor cuts his arm off, um, and Rocket rolls the gauntlet over, and the stones are gone. And he says, I used the stones to destroy the stones. And now you know there is no way they're ever going to fix this. So 
here was the thing. When they tracked him down that quickly, I thought perhaps it's going to be... Because you, know you knew the movie had a running time of three hours. I thought this was going to be the remaining Avengers spend, spending like two and a half hours trying to find him. When they find him in the first ten minutes of the movie, I remember sitting there going, what the hell is happening here? I love that they did that. I love that they went straight for him. I love that they successfully killed him within the first 10 minutes of screen time because then you're right. You're left with this hopeless feeling and what are you going to do now with the next two hours and 15 minutes of this movie? More than that, two, hour, two, two hours and 45 minutes. Yeah. Um, but I, I love the setup here and I love that they didn't go straight for the time jump and tell us about this in backstory. Were you, that would have been awful. As uh, you and I'm, I, I mean, yes, you, the audience, you know, you, the you, the listener, and you can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Monorail Radio. Email us monorailradio at gmail dot com. But I'm asking you the question: Were you mad at Thor when he did this, and you could no longer get the answers? Not that you were likely going to get them from Thanos anyway. Although Thanos is so, once he got rid of the stones, he was so arrogant. He'd just tell you anything that you wanted to hear because the stones were gone. You couldn't undo what he did. Right. Were you mad at him? Uh, I was definitely surprised because he was, Thanos is like mid-sentence. He literally cuts him off yeah. mid-sentence. Yeah. Um. So I was definitely surprised by that. I don't want to say I was mad, but there was a certain moment of, you know, this has always been a democracy for as much as Tony, like, flies off the handle and does what he wants anyway. You guys have always sort of come to a unanimous decision and you just made it for everybody and you can't take it back now. Right. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, five years this is now because you get five years later and you're like, my God, this has been five years. It's scary. Like I, I actually I was like as weird as this sounds like I was like I was I was physically uncomfortable in my seat at the movie theater thinking that five years would have passed and they still haven't fixed this. For that much, I feel like the five years works, but. I feel like some of the visuals that you're getting don't necessarily add up. Like, I feel like three may have been more appropriate because I'm thinking in terms of when you see City Field, when the cap goes to the whatever anonymous meeting, you mm -hmm. know, their support group. Mm -hmm. um, and there's garbage everywhere. There's cars that look like they've just been left behind. Um, well, you would imagine that if the Mets were playing, people would have been snapped out of their seats at a Mets game. That's kind of what I thought we were supposed to be led to believe yeah. was that it was in the middle of a game and all these cars just got left there. Um, but then you see a place like San Francisco that's, I dare say, thriving because they've managed to get a memorial up in five. But five years, okay. I believe that you did that in five years. So it's kind of like there's just such a a stark contrast between the two. And, and one is looking like a third world country that never recovered from this. Right. And the other one fig figured out a way to figure that out. Now, I, I would believe that in terms of looking at this from a global standpoint, that some countries are going to bounce back faster than others. 
but I feel like there needed to be more consistency within the United States. Well, here's the thing. So you have a major a major structure like City Field and you have all those those cars and it's just been left basically to fall apart. But don't forget when you get to San Francisco and I don't want to jump ahead too much because I do want to talk about this support group for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you get to San Francisco, houses are boarded up, cars are on cinder blocks. There's garbage all over so, the street. So, like, I guess because they had the memorial up, which I do want to talk about as well in a minute here, um, I guess because they had that, you would be led to believe, like, they've moved on. And, and at least in New York, they have not moved on. I just think that they chose two different ways to show the the rubble and the aftermath no and i feel like both are believable because even now this hits harder post-pandemic and you know i don't want to keep harping on that but i'm thinking in terms of last summer we would go to the beach and except for distancing it was kind of just business as usual it was outdoors everybody kept to themselves but it was a day at the beach Versus when we traveled for the first time in October, we drove to JFK. We drove into Queens where this is taking place in yeah. City Field. And there's just garbage everywhere. It looked it looked like, like this. City Field. Yeah. It did. Because no one was keeping up with it. And, mm-hmm. you know, that comes from obviously being quarantined. And, you know those that were essential workers were reduced. So you're not having as much garbage pickup. You're not staying on top of things like that. So I guess I can buy the notion that they're in two completely different. They're, they're at two completely different stages. Right. But this isn't real. It is a movie. And I feel like we just kind of needed a little bit more consistency here because Five years feels appropriate for one and not for the other. Yeah, that's a fair point. What does make total sense is Steve Rogers in this grief role, mm-hmm. in this uh, holding these whatever anonymous, these grief groups where he is there for moral support. And he doesn't hide the fact that he's Captain America. He he talks openly about it. And like... It's kind of like nobody really cares that he's Captain America because he's just a person like the rest of them that lost so much. Um, I thought that this was actually a really powerful scene and I think a moment that made sense for him because they make a joke a few times in this movie about how he's always there with the rah-rah speech. And that's that's kind of like the hulkiness and the charm of Captain America in general. So I think putting him in this role, like this is the place that he found... After all of this happened, this, I think, is on brand for the character. It is, because he's not just continuing to work with the Avengers. He's always been about the people, and he's trying to make sure that the people are okay. But I love that they leveled the playing field, that they put him in this group with your average Joe, and that they're not just treating the public as background extras that are running screaming as New York City gets destroyed. They're they're showing the humanity and they're showing how these people that survived are are dealing with what they lost. They're dealing with their survive survivors guilt. They really are getting deep with what happened. Right. I want to talk about this 
vanished memorial park for a second here. It's, a, again, a very harsh visual. I think for us, and, and I want your take on it, because maybe I can only speak for myself, this almost hits a little too close to home. Um, because we've, yeah, you know, we've, we've talked about it already on this show. We're on Long Island. 20 years ago, the most heinous thing I've ever seen in my life happened. And I lost a lot of people in my town. Most towns here did because a lot of people commute from Long Island into the city. Memorials and structures, this is not anything that's new for us. And it hits almost too close to home. But I think that's why it, I think that's why it works really well. Um, which is, you know, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, because this is a movie, and and unfortunately, you know, we have memorials within minutes of this house right now, and that's real. There's no snapping that it doesn't go back. But if this was another situation for me, sitting there watching, and and not just the first time, it's every time we watch this movie, I get a pit in my stomach when they show Scott Lang in that memorial park. I agree with you, and I think it definitely hits too close to home, but not in a way that I would ever have wanted that cut out of this film, because even on a micro level with the support group and a macro level with that memorial, you're showing how humanity bounces back. Yeah. And I think that that's such an important theme to have in here because that's Thanos' whole thing, right? Is that he wants people to appreciate what they have and be peaceful and not take it for granted. And he thinks in his crazy way that by eliminating half of them that it's going to keep the peace. And I feel like his goal was that if I eliminate half the people, half of life, there's less people to argue, therefore less war. And that was his way of keeping the peace. And what he actually did was teach those who were left behind to be grateful for what they have. Again, not saying that he's right because he's insane, but in some ways it worked. Yeah. More harsh visuals. Scott sees that he is mentioned on the vanished list, but Cassie is not. So there's this moment of relief that he did not lose Cassie. We know he's going to find her, and he does. And it's almost as upsetting as if her name would have been on the memorial anyway because she is grown up. She's all grown up now. And the weird thing about that is she breaks down because she thought he's gone. And he's just astonished because he really doesn't understand how he's been gone for this long. All he knows is that she was a little girl when he left. He's been gone for what he believes is five hours. And now she's a teenager. I mean, he missed five years of her life. It's wild how he's piecing all of this together. And what is equally as heart-wrenching about that scene is that the last time we left them in Ant-Man and the Wasp is that Scott is co-parenting with Judy Greer and Bobby Cannavale, whose names I can't remember in the film at this point. They're obviously not there. 
So Cassie's had to deal with all of this on her own. She lost all of her parents. And I feel like everybody sort of loses sight of that because you're just focusing on the time jump. But she thought she lost everything, and that's why she's so happy to see him. You know what I just realized? Those are the only two characters we don't see come back. We don't see either one of them. Well, they they weren't going to fight. No, but I mean... Maybe, well, maybe. Bobby Cannavale was a cop. I no, don't they wouldn't, that he wouldn't They fight. wouldn't have fought, but you get the scene at the end where Hope and Scott are with Cassie on the front steps, mm. like, just to see, like, the two of them come out of the house, uh, you know what I'm saying, and sit with them. It's weird that they would have gotten, I mean, they basically did get everybody, everybody, everybody. Ba- everybody except like the two of them. Like, you even got Natalie Portman for, like, 0.5 seconds, but you get everybody that's ever appeared in Marvel. Ba- and, but they completely ignored Ant-Man and, and his whole run. Like, you don't see Luis, you don't see anybody. Yeah. Speaking of, because this is my one gripe with this movie, and it's, it's always going to be. I wish that there was something better than a rat that bought Scott back because I just felt like that was such a cop out that that's how the van turns on. What I would have loved to see is that had Luis survived, he does it completely by accident. And then you get one of his like long rambly stories catching Scott up on what happened five years ago. And then Scott's on the same page, you know, he he now knows everything that he needs to know, and then he can go look for Cassie. Um, it would have been fine. I mean, I don't care that a rat turns on the machine that opens up the quantum tunnel again, but I th- I think what you're proposing would have been just fine. I just feel like it's such a cop out. I want to talk about how the remaining Avengers are dealing with the passage of time over five years, because we see most of them are spread out, but they're checking in with Nat who for five years, along with Steve, who I get the impression because he's got the support group is kind of dipping in and out. Yeah. She's been holding down the fort at the campus. And I love this leadership slash maternal role that Nat has taken on. Because she's there essentially by herself. Uh, You see, and it's such a great detail that I think gets overlooked. You see ballet slippers on the chair next to her when she's got her feet kicked up and she's talking to everybody on the Avengers Zoom, whatever we want to call it. Uh, And we know that she did ballet as a child before she was plucked up to be an assassin. But I thought that that was just such an amazing clever touch that that's how she's passing this time by herself. Um, But I feel like, I actually feel like the scene is almost more important than her ultimate sacrifice because I said it before about her and Clint, they don't have powers. She's an assassin and she found her family within the Avengers and she spent the entire rest of her life trying to redeem herself. And even something as simple as when Cap finally gets there, she just made herself a peanut butter sandwich. You can tell they're not eating. And she gives him half of it. And I just think that it's such a great character arc for her. Because even, I'll, I'll admit it, when I first saw her in Iron Man, 
in the tight suit and, you know, she appears at the end. Was that, an, I'm trying to remember, was that an after the credits scene when they drop her and Nick Fury in? I think so. I don't I It's don't been remember. a hot minute since I've seen it. But anyway, admittedly, I rolled my eyes when I saw her first appearance. And I didn't really know anything about Black Widow. And even in Avengers, she's the femme fatale character. When we see her, you know, she's pretending to be captured while she's interrogating these guys. And then she takes them all out. But you really never got that depth with her. Even in Age of Ultron, when everybody else is seeing what they fear, she's fearing what she was. So you know that she wants to redeem herself. But I just think that it's such a powerful arc for her to keep trying and keep pushing forward and really being the anchor for everybody to fight for what's left. Right, especially if Tony and Cap are not speaking. Tony is basically completely retired at this point. Um, and Captain America, like you said, he's sort of dipping in and out. And it almost, I don't want to say that he's lost hope, but it seems like he's more invested in being this grief counselor than he is doing anything with the Avengers at this point. Right. Which I can't really blame him for if he feels this ultimate defeat. I also kind of find it ironic that... Uh, half of all things living in this world were wiped out except for every single original Avenger. <laughs> um, all of them made it. Um, I mean, I guess at that point it's a numbers game because we've got 22 other movies and they lost almost everybody else except for the original Avengers. Not one of them got snapped away, but I, you know, that might be the only flaw for me, but I'm willing to overlook that. Um, because I just feel like if half of them, if if half of if human existence gets snapped away, then half of half of that crew should not be there anymore. But I guess they just introduced so many other characters that that's how they justified it. I'll give you that one. But the other thing is, and this is where you do kind of have to sprinkle a little bit of movie magic on it. When they do the time heist, they have to go back to where these original stones were. And this is what their individual films have been leading up to. So you have to put them back where they started. Right. Yeah. That I makes mean, sense. could you have sent somebody else to Asgard? Like, could Rocket have done that himself? He essentially did. But you get a great moment with Thor, which we're going to talk about when we get there. Yeah. So now the whole crew is slowly getting back together because... Scott Lang has showed up at the door and he's like, it's me, Scott, Ant-Man. I, I, I know you know Ant-Man. <laughs> Um, so very much on brand with that Paul Rudd comedy. And he comes up with this time travel thing and he's like sort of rambling and hysterical at first. And when they go and like pitch this idea to Tony, who is now living this world of retirement in a cabin by the lake, he literally looks at Scott and says, are you really telling me your plan is back to the future? And I thought that that was really funny because... As he's like laying everything out, don't talk to our former selves. And I was like, this sounds like, and he was like, don't bet on sporting events. And I was just like, yeah, it's back to the future. I love how self-aware this film is because this yeah. isn't the only time they do it. Later, Rhodey calls out all of these other yeah, time travel. time machines. Literally every single one. But I, I think it's just a great touch. Yeah. Um, but talking strictly in the scene that we're in here, Tony, he's got his daughter, Morgan. He's got Pepper. They have this house on the lake. I mean, can you blame him? 
Can you blame Tony for not wanting to partake in this? Well, no, I can't blame him. But what I realized, because we just did a recent rewatch of Iron Man 3, this has always been Tony's thing, is don't put me in jeopardy, don't put yourself in jeopardy when we can figure out another way to do it. Right. Like when he created the Iron Legion. I'm not going to fight in my suit. I'm going to send my suits out, and they're going to do it for us. Or um, when he gets in a really heated uh, argument, I think it's with the cap, where um, he says, I would cut the wire. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's always been his thing, is figure out a way where I don't have to be the hero. And he always ends up being the one to sacrifice himself. He did it in Avengers because yeah. who else rode the thing the up rocket, into space? Yeah. Who jumped on the on the spaceship with Spider-Man? He always is the one to do it. For as much as he says he's not going to, he's the first one in, even before Cap sometimes. Right. So I think that it obviously sets up drama with the rest of them. And I thought, like, are they really going to go about this where he's not really going to be involved? And I thought this could be a really interesting take. Like, if he is legitimately, like, nah, I'm hanging it up. And that was the first time I thought we're losing Captain America. Because I'm thinking, Tony is going to stay. He's not going to leave Pepper and his child. And I'm thinking at this point, this is where the cap is going to get lost in this film. And we're going to tie Tony's survivor's guilt into that somewhere. Obviously, that's not what happens. But this movie does a good job of keeping you guessing because you're right. And you said it earlier in this conversation. We knew from the start we were going to lose one of them. We just didn't know which one it was going to be. And I think the, the movie does a really good job keeping you guessing when it's the first time you've seen it. Definitely. And that would have been interesting if it played out, as you said, with Tony experiencing survivor's guilt. Circling back to something else that you said, though, isn't it funny how all of the original Avengers are the ones who stuck around? This is where it's a little bit contrived because, okay, you have Tony who's, I'm out, I'm not doing this. Then you have the Hulk, who they have to go collect, and God knows where he's been. He's, you know, I, I like where we find him that Bruce has found that balance between Banner and the Hulk, but I don't like the joke that they made of him with let's take a selfie. I mean, you get the comic relief and it's funny, but I just feel like they kind of did a disservice because wouldn't Banner have been there holding it down with Nat trying to figure out a way to undo all of this? Wouldn't he be trying to use science to, to undo it? See, and I think this whole thing is great. I love the Hulk out and taking the selfies. Dab. I, listen to your mom. I love this because I love that he has finally embraced the Hulk and he doesn't look at it as a sentence or a curse anymore. Oh, absolutely. The balance is great. I, I will a thousand percent give you that. I just wish they would have like elaborated more on what Hulk out means and why he is like this little celebrity now. I mean, yeah, he's an Avenger and he's the Hulk and he's walking around as the Hulk. So he stands out. But like I was think I'm waiting to find out like he became you know, like this pop culture figure post the snap 
And they, they never really, like, what is Hulk? But the kids do it with them. They're like, Hulk out. It's like it became his catchphrase. And I'm thinking, like, how do they know that? I thought they were going to go somewhere with it, and it just never played out. I feel like we have to watch Rag- Ragnarok again because he does have the ice cream. I know that. Right. Because he's eating it later when they yeah. have their time heist meeting. So there's there's definitely something that we're forgetting. And forgive us, listeners. We tried to wa- rewatch as many of these as we could. We've watched nearly 150 movies for this show. I'm not apologizing <laughs> to anybody. Well, no, I did re- really want to rewatch Thor before Loki. Right. So we didn't get all the way through that trilogy, but we did try and do as many as we could, and we just couldn't get there. But there's definitely something that we're forgetting. Um, and I, I think it's also safe to assume, though, that if he is out in the open, they're the Avengers, you know? Like, yes, they were all scared of, as Tony puts it, the screaming rage monster. Um, but after Infinity War, after they tried to stop Thanos, I think there's probably a little bit of the public embracing them and a little bit that they are sort of celebrities now. So... I guess he's just leaning into that. I I don't necessarily need all of those dots connected. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Now we're going back to Tony's house. Tony's daughter is like one of the cutest kids you've ever had in a Disney slash Marvel film. She is just so endearing. And that scene with the juice pops and with him and her and the whole I love you 3000 thing this scene is just incredible. And I mean, the actress is really good, but this entire thing up to and including him figuring out time travel is just, it's one of the more powerful scenes I think we've seen out of Robert Downey Jr. in any of the films that he's done for the MCU. And that's not to say that he hasn't had a ton of powerful films, but I think the humanization and, and, and him becoming domestic really with this family and this daughter, I mean, Think about him from the first film, the most selfish person on earth, this billionaire playboy that genius philanthropist didn't care bombs. You know, none of it mattered to him to see him get to this point was incredible. For me, though, it's like just when you think you can't love Tony anymore, he goes and turns into the cutest girl dad ever. And of course, it's a daughter. So, you know, he's doting on her 10 times more than he would a son. That's not to say that he wouldn't love his son, but he had a rough relationship with his father, as we're going to see play out. Uh, so I think this is just perfect. And, you know, it raises the stake because now we see exactly the relationship that they have and why he doesn't want to do this. The other thing is that he's been promising Pepper for how long? Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to stop. I I can't keep going back to this. You know, I want to commit and be a family. And I love God, this scene is just so good. Except for on your left, this is probably my favorite scene in the whole film because so much happens here. Yes, I love you 3000. Is it adorable? Yes. Did they know they were going to sell a thousand t-shirts? A hundred percent. But it still doesn't take away from how endearing it is. But then he figures out the time travel. Even he shocks himself to a point where there's no sarcastic remark. He falls over backwards because even he's shocked that he did it. Um, by the way, it's an inverted Mobius strip. Mobius, where have we heard that recently? Mm-hmm. 
Do we think this is all going to come into play later? I don't think anything that that Marvel does is accidental, no. except for the end of WandaVision. Um, oh, we're going to don't even get me started. We're <laughs> going to talk about it. You just hold that. Um, but yeah, then the juice pops. This is extortion. It's just so cute. But then go even, to bed or I'll sell your toys. Uh, and then he Tony Starks it right up. It's it's fantastic. But even the scene with Pepper after that. What's new with composting? And he's trying so hard to be domestic right now, but his head is in a billion places. And then they have that conversation. And she knows, she even says it, it's the great failure of my life to get you to stop. And he's trying to, he really is. But then she says, would you rest? Which is such a great callback to Iron Man 3 because he's dealing with his PTSD and he, he literally can't sleep at night. I forgot that all of that happened prior to this movie. And I had forgotten because so much happens in three hours. It wasn't until we watched the movie again to review it for the show that I picked up on, would you be able to rest? I was like, oh, that's brilliant. Because by the time you see, when you see the movie the first time, you're not going to remember that she asked that question. You're just not going to. Because so much happens in three hours that you get absorbed. And that's sort of the brilliance of Marvel films in general, but more specifically this Marvel film. Because given, given the 22 film lead into it, given the running time, this is not a movie that I think you can, honest to God, I don't think this is a movie you can watch less than 10 times. Really, b- before you, you feel like you've picked up on everything. And, and even that might not be enough. It's interesting that you say that, though, because after WandaVision, so many people wanted to get into the Marvel Universe. And it's like, where do I start? Where do I start? And it's there's a lot of ground to cover if you want to get into it. Yeah. However, I feel like this film is played with such heart I feel like you actually could watch this and just come in not knowing anything and you could still watch this and enjoy it. Um, I don't think you could watch this without at a minimum seeing Infinity War because you're not going to understand what Thanos did. I mean, they explain it, but you're not really going to understand it. You don't necessarily, I mean, you should see the other movies to see how they've chased these stones for a decade to get to this point. I don't think that you necessarily need to see the movies based on these characters. You don't need to see their introductions per se, but I think at a minimum you need to watch Infinity War. But even then, I don't think you're really going to enjoy it or understand it. Because I just don't think you're going to care enough. I mean, you could. I mean, but let me ask you this question. How, who, who out there that went and saw Endgame didn't see all of these movies? That's yeah. the other thing. Who, who didn't go and see all of these movies? Yeah, I, I get where Wanda hooked people. I can see Loki hooking a new audience that hasn't necessarily been into it. But you can't tell me that you saw this film without anything that came. Yeah, anything that came before it. Um. So... Now we are still trying to recruit the rest of the Avengers, get them back in, and now it's time to go to New Asgard, which I assumed was in either Maine or Alaska. I couldn't figure out exactly where they were. I was thinking, like, Norway. Maybe. Or Iceland. Could be. Doesn't matter. It kind of looks like Reykjavik. It doesn't matter, because all we know is that as cold as it is, 
it's still warm enough to melt ice cream because you get Rocket and Banner are going to get Thor. Perfect, by the way. Yeah. Of everybody that could go get him, that's perfect. I, in, in one of those moments that I will never forget, there, there are like four or five moments in this movie I will never forget when Captain America gets the hammer on your left and the reveal that was Thor. Melted ice cream Thor. I will never forget that audience reaction because it was half laughter at the comedy that was that visual and just half shock. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think the gentleman in the audience thought it was hysterical and the women that love Chris Hemsworth didn't know what to do with that visual. I gotta say, he's a good sport. But I yeah. think that's also that's also his style because he didn't care about being the butt of the joke in Ghostbusters in the horrible 2016 version. And he's playing along with it now. Um, did I expect that this is where they were going to take the character? No, not in a million years. Never saw it coming. And kudos to Marvel and everyone involved for not letting this one leak because this just lands. But... Here's the thing. I think that people, like you said, they're finding it funny. But what gets overlooked is that Thor is depressed and they're making light of it because they're leaning into the comedy here. But, you know, he, he's a god. And for somebody that was all about ego and I can do anything and no one can touch me, Thor has now learned completely what it means to be human. And to experience failure. And to me, what is more depressing than his appearance is that he cracks a beer on Stormbreaker. Yeah. Stormbreaker has been reduced to a bottle opener. And if his gut didn't get you as a visual, that should have. For sure. Um, yeah, and it's it's it was hard to envision him in that way because he is such a strong character physically and emotionally and to see him sort of just give up on himself and give up on just give up on I'm not gonna say give up on life but just to give up in general and that's what he's been reduced to uh yeah it's uh it was it was startling it was still funny but it was startling and it's funny that you mention Chris Hemsworth being a good sport you know, he was actually supposed to get his physique back halfway through this movie. And he rallied the directors to keep him in that fat suit. What else are you going to call it? Uh, because he thought it was better if he stayed that way. He didn't think it would land if all of a sudden he was ripped again. Right. And I could have done without the training montage, like where all of your science guys, Banner, Stark, Earl and Lang, because uh, he is a quantum physicist, even yeah. though he's a criminal. Yeah. Uh, while they're doing the sciencey stuff, Thor's in another room pumping iron. I, I can live without that. Yeah, for sure. So they get him back by promising him that there's beer. And now we have... Everybody gathered back at the campus, right? The band is back together. Or actually, no, hang on, because I didn't get to us going to get Clint. We go to Tokyo. And Clint is this vigilante 
and I, I guess they don't have to really explain why because he lost his family and he's just gone off the deep end. So I completely buy that. But they never... I, I, I kind of thought that he's just going after criminals in like a boondock saint sort of way. But they never really elaborate on who's hiring him. Mm. Is he acting out on his own? Why is he targeting the people he's targeting? And I wish that we would have just gotten a little bit more. But then again, this movie's three hours long and we didn't need any more backstory. I agree, but I think you do kind of need it because they're all in a dark place. Like we just got done talking about Thor. He's dealing with his depression one way. Hawkeye's dealing with it in another. But because of what he's doing, because he's not, you know, drinking himself silly you sort of do need a higher power that he's answering to because why why is he doing this? They already are the Avengers. Right. He's acting like a revenger. Right. Yeah, that's true. And I feel like it's kind of out of character. But I mean, just totally brutal killing spree that he goes on. I mean, he he leaves a body count behind him. And it's Natasha that tracks him down and she's the one that brings him back because the whole time they're trying well no they they figure there's no way to fix it her concern up to this point is finding clint she just wants to find him and bring him back because they hint at it earlier in that avenger zoom call where it's like where and and roadie was like you got to see the body count i i hope we don't find him you know because clearly he's been at this for quite some time and he's got a reputation for it now but now they they bring him back and the test run for the time travel. Um, while So you get the first test run with, uh, with Scott, and he comes back as a baby, and he comes back as an old man, and it is very funny in the way Hulk is just like, time travel, I see this as an absolute win. <laughs> it's funny, and you, you know, listen, you're going to play up to Paul Rudd's strengths, right? And those are his strengths. But the test run that they have with Clint where he just gets a few seconds Oof. and all he wants to do is see his family. And like, he just misses them. He just misses seeing his daughter. I remember it's like, man, I need an ice pack for the amount of times that you've punched me in the gut. Um, and this was just another punch in the gut. This movie is to quote Thanos perfectly balanced because you do get the comedy and the sucker punch and it keeps ebbing and flowing for three hours nonstop. Yeah. But they really, they really did balance it out well. For sure. What I also love is that you think this is just pandering to Paul Rudd being Paul Rudd. But when Tony comes back to talk to Cap, he does say it. And, and he's going a mile a minute, so you barely catch it. Instead of running Lang through time, you ran time through Lang, and that's why it didn't work. So, of course, Tony's figured out time travel, and of course he knows exactly where the team of people went wrong, and I did it by myself, and oh, by the way, I also made you a new shield. Yeah. Like, of course. But now the gang's back together, and they realize that three of the stones are in New York at the exact same time in 2014. 12. 2012. I love that by the way, that they've been at it all day. And then Nat's just like, guys, if we pick the right year, there's three of them. Duh. Yeah. So we go back and now we're reliving the original Avengers film 
and now Scott is there, and this is where, like, I love Paul Rudd so much, and this is where you do need him with that, uh, with the with the comedy, because Tony makes the joke about Captain America's outfit, and he goes, that outfit did nothing for your ass, just because he's trying to rib him. And the the the, the line it might be the line of the movie other than I love you three thousand. Oh no, that's America's ass. It's <laughs> I remember I laughed like an idiot when he said it. I I laugh like an idiot every time he says it, regardless of how many times I've seen this movie. Uh, I'm film. dying to know, and I couldn't find it if that was ad libbed or not. I I don't think so because then uh, Cap makes fun of himself later on. Yeah, but I mean. Everything about New York in 2012 is just absolute perfection, except for Tilda Swinton, because she'd be scary. <laughs> but um, just the way that, you know, and it's a time travel movie, so obviously this is going to happen. But the way that you took what you thought we knew and you flipped it on its head, obviously we open up the door for Loki. But one of my favorite moments, and I know it's supposed to be a comedic device, but it's such a great character moment, too, is when the cat fights himself. Yes. Yes, it's funny. It's hysterical that Captain America of 2012 thinks that this is Loki because they know that he's just escaped. But my favorite moment in this entire scene, except for Tony calling out for help for himself, is when the cat sees himself and he just goes, oh. and 2012 is like, I could do this all day. And present Cap is like, yeah, I know. He's even yeah. fed up with himself at this point. And I thought it was just such a great moment in his entire character arc because even he's sick and tired of this noble superhero thing that he's got to uphold. It's so brilliant. Yeah. I love everything that they do in New York. I love that they that they they planted Loki here because and I remember thinking like Loki's gone I guess we're not ever going to find out what happened to Loki and obviously it's all a plant to get to the television show but I think everything that they did here while deliberate I thought was necessary like the scene with Tilda Swinton talking to Bruce Banner and explaining how remove one stone and off you go into an alternate universe and all you alter time and it throws off the balance and that all ties into Loki like it's amazing to me how the New York scene here basically serves as a setup for the Loki television show but was it though because I mean yes by the time we got to Infinity War we knew we were getting Disney plus and we knew we were getting a Loki series or by the time we reviewed it at least which was probably a year or so after it came yes. out. Um, I don't know that this was all a setup. I mean, maybe they knew, maybe it was in development at that point, but I, what I really thought was that we knew we were getting another Thor movie. I thought that's what they were setting up with Loki disappearing. Never in a million years did I expect, you know, it, it to go where it has been. Um, no, and you're right. It, they even explained what the TVA explains to us in the first episode of Loki is, is how you have all of these branch realities. Right. Uh, but what I love in that moment too, even as scary as Tilda Swinton is, is that 
she even realizes the gravity of the situation yeah. when Banner tells her that uh, Doctor Strange had to give up the stone. Mm-hmm. And she goes, he was supposed to be the best of us. And she she knows that she has to trust Bruce. Um, so I think that's a really powerful scene, even though it's just the two of them on a roof and, and the Hulk is, you know, his body is in her garden. Yeah, for all intents and purposes. Yeah, but they I feel like they just did everything right here. What I'm surprised that they didn't go for was that they didn't help themselves in 2012 and take out some of the bigger stuff. I thought that that's what they were going to do when they said, hey, go smash a few things on your way. I guess they just because it's easy for the rest of them to hide. Yeah, he's got to cover himself. And if he's going to draw attention to himself as the Hulk anyway, he's got to stay in character, so to speak. As gratuitous as it is. Um, I also, uh, I, I love that in that moment where you're thinking, my God, how are they going to get out of this now? Captain America and Tony Stark both look at each other and they know they can go to Camp Lehigh because not only do they need to get the Space Stone, but they know they can get more Pym Particles because up to this point, they have one round trip worth of Pym Particles each. So by them going to 1970 to Camp Lehigh, you have used the rest of your particles. There's no way for you to get to 2023, which is where they need to be. So the fact that they knew that they could go there and sort of take care of everything they needed to take care of, I think in the moment was brilliant. I agree. Without even getting into that scene in Camp Lehigh too much because... This this is where the movie starts to jump around a lot. Right. And we're in just for the sake of the review and keeping it simple. We're going to talk about New York as is Morag as is and Vormir yeah, and, and Asgard. Asgard and then Camp Lehigh. But these are all intercut back and forth, which, again, pacing great. You're not staying with anybody too long, but it is very convoluted. Um, this is what I was talking about before with where they get. You know, the Cap and Tony get in their sparring match at the beginning. They're not blaming each other, but they can't accept the blame themselves, so they're just taking it out on each other. He gives him the shield as the olive branch, but now this is the moment where they know how risky it is. Scott's telling them, if you guys do this and you don't pull it off, you're not coming back and I can't help you, which is a really gutsy moment for Scott, who's such a fanboy, but... That's how you know how severe this is. Cap says, I trust you. So now it's like, okay, this is solidified now. This is the relationship that we've needed from them all along. Um, What's interesting, though, you just said it. It dawns on them in the moment that they need to go back and get more pin particles so that they can get back to the future, Mm -hmm. to the present, to 2023, where they need to be. They also needed Pym Particles to go put the stones back. And up until they realized this, they didn't have them. Right. Because they didn't know they would have had to put the stones back. Right. Only Banner knows that. Only Banner knows that based on what he was told by Tilda Swinton. Well, good call, boys. So we now know they're going to go off and do their thing. Meanwhile, on Asgard, uh, Rocket and Thor are off trying to do their thing. And I love how... I mean, I'm jumping here, but I gotta get this out of the way. I love how after uh, Rocket gets hold of the stone, they're all not just chasing him, 
They're calling him Rabbit. Grab the Rabbit. Grab yeah. the Rabbit. They None of them are recognizing him as a raccoon. They're all just calling him the Rabbit. I love that throughout all of Marvel. They have managed to repeat jokes, but they do it so tastefully that it never feels like it's getting old. Like even in Ultron where they keep ripping on the cat because he cursed. Yeah. And Tony's like language. Uh, it, it just never gets old because it's very tastefully done and they space it out enough where it's not overkill. For sure. But it's a really heartfelt moment because it we learn that that, that is the day that Thor's mother dies and he sees her. And in spite of the fact that he tries to avoid her, she tracks him down and she knows he's from the future. She out and out says it and he admits it. But I think that it was important for him to get that one last moment with her because I think that without that, he doesn't ditch the booze and get his stuff together uh, in order to help them reset everything that Thanos did. Well, he feels so much guilt. And it's like I said before, he's depressed because this is the first time he's ever failed at anything. And it's not just Thanos. It's because... They wiped out Asgard. He's lost an entire planet. It's his family and his kingdom. Yeah. So he's he's really having trouble coming to grips with this. But what I love about this scene, it's not just the sweet moment with his mother. It's exactly what you said. He would have never turned around without it. Because even when the band is back together, he's still cracking jokes. He's still drinking. He tries to do his presentation on the stone and where it is. And he's, oh, that's Jane, my old flame. Yeah, when he was when he was Thor Lebowski. Exactly. <laughs> and I love that they call him out for that. But, you know, he's a total has-been. He's washed up at this point, And I don't know that he's ever going to get himself out of it except for that moment. And because he has that moment, he is now worthy again, and that's why he gets Mjolnir back. Yeah. So, all, while very funny, a very important scene. On to Morag, where you've got Nebula and Rhodey are trying to get the Power Stone, which they have to get, they have to knock out Peter Quill because he's there to steal it. We this It's the scene from the first... Guardians movie. It's the opening scene from the first Guardians film. Um, and Chris Pratt is just, he's a good sport about it, but he just seems like he's a good sport about everything. Now it's important that this happens because the whole time you're wondering, other than the pim particles, what could possibly stop them from accomplishing this? Right. And that's where we learn that at the same time that they're in Morag, which is 2014. That version of Nebula with Gamora and Thanos, they are also after the stones. So you're sort of racing against time. But at the same time, you knew that Peter Quill got those that you knew he got that stone. That was the only stone you were there to get. You right. knew he got it. So you knew that they're not going to track you down. Like, yes, you have to be aware that they're out looking for stones. But... They didn't prevent him from getting the stone. You know he's going to get the stone. You're preventing him to get the stone so you can get the stone. Does, does that make sense? Well, because they can't wait for Quill in from 2014. They need to remove the stone from this timeline. But the timeline that they're in is 2014. They're on Morag in 2014 because they knock Quill out. Right. Yes, exactly. 
So if Thanos didn't get there before Quill, why is he going to get there before Quill now? You are there with Quill. Because Thanos eventually gets that stone, the stone that Quill has. But he didn't take it from that temple. At least I don't think he did. Right, but they have to go to where a stone is that they know they can get. They can't, otherwise they're going to interfere with too much. If they steal it from Quill once he has it, they're going to screw up the entire future. But you're not understanding what I'm saying. Who stops Quill from taking the Power Stone? Rhodey and Nebula. Right. So it's irrelevant that Thanos was looking for it because he would have not been there anyway to stop Quill from taking it. But this is Thanos in 2014. Yes. Present Thanos. That's right. He's looking for the stones, but he doesn't know where they are. He, does, he only has one at this point. He's trying to go get that one. He doesn't know Quill is going to go take it. He doesn't know Quill is going to beat him to the punch. But they know Quill beats him to the punch. Nebula and Rhodey know that Quill beats him to the punch. That's why they are there. Right, but that stone eventually falls into the wrong hands if they don't remove it from the timeline and get it to where it needs to be for one of the Avengers to perform the 2023 snap. Okay. Um... Uh, I I I think I we're gonna we're gonna go back and forth on this all night and go nowhere. Um, I I think that they needed to set up Thanos coming through the quantum tunnel, but I'm I am not understanding where I'm not understanding where it doesn't matter that Thanos is looking for the stones in 2014. He never interfered with Quill. He was never going to get that stone in that moment. The only people that could do it were Nebula and Rhodey, which they accomplished because Thanos was never going to be right there in 2014. He could be looking for whatever he wants. He was never going to be there in that moment. Right. He could have been focusing on the Tesseract for all Correct. we know. Now, what I really, to me, does not make sense is how Nebula starts projecting... These this is 2014 Nebula starts projecting 2023 Nebula's memories. It's very quick, but um, is his name Ma? I think Mog. Yeah, Ma. um, Thanos's right hand. It's 20, a 23 movies, folks. Then that's just the Marvel. <laughs> it's a very quick line. Because she's not all human, she's like a cyborg. Right. She's on a server. So she starts reading from other Nebula because they're on the same server. I see. Okay. Now that makes sense. It's it's quick. It's very much a throwaway. But I think it's a great setup. Because oh, you yeah. needed to get Thanos back into this movie. You also needed to get Gamora back into this movie. So while it, it is sort of hard to follow and until you pointed it out to me, I really couldn't figure out how it was happening. All I knew was they got him back in and this makes the most sense. Right. And that's how he hijacks 2023 Nebula's memory so that Thanos knows their every move. Right. Now, 2023 Nebula with... War Machine, they get their hands on the stone, and as they're getting ready to jump back to 2023, uh, that's when she gets taken because she basically just loses all function and all power and she collapses, but Rhodey is already 
pressed his button to go back and use his, his pim particles. So now they're going to collect her, and they do, and they take the little decal plate off of her, and the 2014 Nebula puts it on, looks just like her, takes the pim particle, and off she goes. Because she's going to let lead them to believe that their version of Nebula that they trust is there, also that she can open up the quantum tunnel and get Thanos into 2023, where he knows the stones are going to be collected. Right, because 2014 Nebula is so horrified by the fact that she betrays him. Yeah. She doesn't even... She can't even conceive of a world where she would ever do that. Right. So she's trying to cut it off at the pass. Here's where this gets interesting for me, though. So Rhodey uses the pin particle. He zaps back. Yes, they get into Nebula's head because she basically like falls to the ground. But instead of just using her particle to zap back and warn all of them in 2023, she runs back to the ship and she's trying to radio them. Right. And then you get caught. So couple questions. Why didn't you just zap back, number one? Number two, she's with Rhodey. There's still another stone in space. She sets the coordinates to Vormir because obviously Clint and Nat don't know how to fly. Right. But she had to know that one of them was not coming back, correct? Yes. Did she set them up? Why didn't she go with Rhodey to Vormir? Because uh, Rhodey doesn't care about her. Remember, the whole setup is that to get the Soul Stone, you must give up that of which you love. Rhodey does not love her. She does not love Rhodey. Uh, it had, so she did set them up. It's not just a human sacrifice. So she did set yeah. them up. Yeah, yeah. She knew exactly what she was doing. But and there's no to. other combination that could do it. Tony doesn't love Cap enough. I mean, like, they do, but the, not, not enough. enough. Not, Not as much as his family. She knew. Yeah, no. She knew. But remember, she's part cyborg, so she really doesn't feel all the time. Right. But I feel like even if if they all knew that, Clint and Nat probably would have volunteered themselves anyway because they realized they were the only ones that they could do it. Yeah, let's go to Vormir for a minute before mm. we go to Lehigh. Um, I mean, I don't know what else you want me to tell you. The sacrifice of Natasha was shocking because the whole time you're sort of thinking that Hawkeye in in the MCU he plays a role it's I don't want to say it's not important but it's not as important as Black Widow and when he fires that arrow and he sends her off and you think this will be his moment where he's going to sacrifice the chance of seeing his family again just to get them back it means that much to him as long as they're back. His his goal is has been accomplished. He's he's done what he came to do. So when she is the one that gets sacrificed, I remember being astonished that they actually went for it. Because now you know you're going to lose another one. And you know it's going to be either Stark or Rogers. I didn't think they were gonna go for it where you lost her too. Same. And you just never see it coming because, well, until they get to Vormir, really. But you're so focused on, is it the Cap or is it Iron Man? Cap or Iron Man? 
I I would have never thought that they were going to take out another major player. Um, especially because, like I said, you know, she's an assassin. She's not a superhero. So you kind of feel like she's like low under the radar and that's where you just don't expect it. Um, but this scene, it's it's so layered and I feel like it doesn't get enough credit because Nat's death gets overshadowed by Tony's. That's your big takeaway. Uh, but I feel like, you know, like I said, they don't have superpowers. They're just two regular people who are very good at what they do. Uh, and they're so noble arguing over who is going to sacrifice themselves. And to me, it just would have been as simple as saying, you know, we're fighting to bring everybody back. Go and be with your family. And you would think that, like, it would have been not no question. But Hawkeye is trying to redeem himself from all of the killing that he's just done. His bigger purpose is get his family back, not even so that he can be with them. He just wants to save them. So he's got just as much stock in sacrificing himself as she does, even though the obvious answer is go back to your family. Uh, but yeah, just just didn't see it coming. And this is where I feel like Black Widow kind of gets the bad rap. And I started talking about it before that, you know, when she was cast as this femme fatale character, you thought she was going to sort of remain one dimensional and just, OK, she can fight with the guys, but we're going to put her in a sexy suit. And then she takes on this maternal role in keeping it together while everyone is spread apart and trying to ground everyone so that they can undo what Thanos did and figure out a way, even without the stones, to bring anybody back. Here is where, and once upon a time before this movie came out, I had said that Captain Marvel was in my top three Marvel Universe movies. That has obviously since changed because of this movie. But you think that Captain Marvel is the strongest female character. And it wasn't until this moment where they totally redeemed Black Widow's character for me that I think that she's the strongest female out of all of them because she doesn't have powers. She was just an assassin. She's a human and she makes the ultimate sacrifice. And to me, this moment is what makes her the most badass out of all the Marvel ladies. Except maybe the Dora Milaje, but she's pretty close for the same reason though. yeah for the same reason they're not necessarily superheroes right they're just super skilled at what they do and they do it very well right uh yeah i I mean i would agree with that i think that um given the fact that you know she wasn't hit by a radioactive beam or any of these other things you see in a in a comic book movie you're right it's just she's a person just a regular person and She's just extraordinary in what she does. And it's extraordinary in this scene. I think the sacrifice, while shocking, you know, obviously it was necessary. Um, And it meant more to her that Clint would have his chance. See, to her, Clint's redemption is a second chance with his family. Well, this is her redemption because we still don't know what she did or how bad it was. I feel like we're going to find out in the next couple of weeks. Her whole life has been about redemption. Yeah. So I think that's why this was so important to her. Now, my question is, do you think she's really gone or do you think that there's a way that we're going to get her back? No, she's gone because Bruce tried to snap her back and it didn't work. Not even with Loki? No, she's gone. 
Because if she doesn't die, they don't get the soul stone. You can't undo it. She was never snapped away to begin with. And if you snap her back, then she wasn't sacrificed, and therefore you no longer possess the soul stone. And no, therefore you couldn't undo anything. Bingo. It's yeah, it's a whole paradox. One more thing before we move on off of Vormir, because I was very proud of myself for realizing this one without the help of TikTok or any of people who are far more of a Marvel expert than I am. One of Gamora's first lines is, I'm going to die surrounded by idiots. And what happened on Vormir? She's with Thanos and Red Skull, who, yes, they're villains, but they are arguably idiots. It was a prophecy come true. Okay. I okay, I'm okay. I I I didn't know that either one of them were that unintelligent, but okay, I'm with you. Well, that's what I'm saying. They're not idiots like they're stupid, but they're idiots because of their causes. Okay, yeah, well, yeah, that's that's fair. Let's, Whatever, I got one. Yes, let's go to nineteen. I got an Easter egg. Let's Give go to nineteen seventy. Let's go to nineteen seventy. We got to move on here. All right, I want to jump at a quantum tunnel right now um we're at camp lehigh right okay so it's the birthplace of captain america it's where he came out of his bottle um and you have pym michael douglas um the de-aging on him is unfreaking believable is it yes I think he looks more like one of those video games where it's like, wow, that looks so lifelike. And then when you get really close up. I think it's, it's really good. I mean, it's it's good. It's well done. But the CGI, it, it kind of looks like a good video game. Mm, I think it was good. I mean, obviously, listen, that's not that's not the point of the scene. The point is that. No, and you had to get him in. Yeah. The point is that we do get the pim Particles. We get four of them, which obviously will play a role much later in the film. We get the stone, but we get the scene with Tony and his dad. This is this is really the whole thing. It, it, it's more important than even getting the stone or getting... That's the space stone that they're after. It's, it's, it's bigger than getting that. It's bigger than getting the pin particles. It's the fact that Tony is speaking to his father while his mother is pregnant with Tony. And he's kind of dropping these pearls of wisdom on him that he heard from that same man years later. Um, and he, ca- he tells him that his name is Potts because he takes Pepper's last name. Howard Potts um, is what he tells him his name is. But this is such an important scene for Tony because he never got the closure with his father because his father sort of died prematurely is what we learned in the first Iron Man film and they did have that strained relationship so it kind of feels like he got one more chance and he made the most of it yeah I love this full circle moment I love the exchange between the two of them but it's at this point even on your first viewing you should have realized like this is the point in the film where Tony should have held up a sign and said okay it's my time to go so now we have all of the stones we are back in 2023 Tony develops a new gauntlet. Bruce is the one that puts the gauntlet on because he said it's mostly gamma power. It's mostly gamma rays, gamma radiation. So he can handle it more than anyone else can after there's this debate on I'm the strongest. No, I'm the strongest. No, I'm the strongest. So it makes sense that Bruce is the one that does it and he snaps everyone back. 
And immediately Clint's phone rings. It's his wife. And they don't give you a moment to breathe. They don't give you a moment to enjoy that victory because Scott walks up to a window and goes, guys, I think it worked. Bang! A bomb from Thanos because Nebula of 2014 in disguise has opened up the quantum tunnel and here he is and he destroys the Avenger campus. It is the second, the, it's almost, it's the second the snap happens. You the, get no room to breathe. The only time you get to breathe is when they're mourning Nat and trying to figure out a way to get her back in all of this. Right. And, and they can't. What's so powerful, other than how they hit you with Thanos coming through, is that it's not just half of humans. It's half of life. So you hear birds chirping and you see the trees coming back. Yeah. And it is such a powerful moment. And they just set you up to punch you right back down. Mm-hmm. So now the campus is being destroyed by Thanos. And 2014 Nebula is here. She gets the gauntlet from Clint because Clint doesn't know who she is. Well, he thinks he knows who she is. He thinks he knows. He doesn't. Now, meanwhile, Gamora has decided, because she asks Nebula from 2023, what happens to us? And she goes, we become friends. We become sisters. And recognizing what he is about to do, she basically extends her hand out and says, come on, we can stop him. Which is great because you needed to get Nebula back into Guardians of the Galaxy. Or uh, uh, Gamora, I should say, into Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, uh, Nebula kills Nebula. 2014 Nebula with the gauntlet is killed by 2023 Nebula. And she could have been killed by anybody. Could have been Clint. It could have been Gamora. I think that it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's great that Nebula kills Nebula, but you almost could have had Karen Gillan at that point just hold up a sign that said uh, symbolism. You know what I'm saying? Right. You're right. I mean, you know what it is? I That is secondary to me because what I only recently realized, and now I'm paying so much more attention to Gamora in this scene... In Infinity War, before Thanos takes her out, do you remember how she keeps harping with Quill on, no matter what happens, you have to kill me. You have to shoot me. You have to this. You think it's because you, she knows that Thanos is going to sacrifice her and she doesn't want him to successfully get the stone? Right. And you think it's that at face value. What you don't realize is that she knows. Because of what happened in this she movie. She has experienced it. And that's why she wants Quill to kill her so that he never gets that stone. Yeah. And Quill can't do it. And Quill can't do it. So, yeah, I, I didn't even pick up on that. So good call on that one. Um, all right. Now we get to the end of this movie. It's, it's the beginning of the end where Thanos and his army are here and they start battling what is left of the Avengers because we haven't gotten everybody back yet because we just snapped everybody back into reality and you have the cap and Iron Man and Thor and they're battling Thanos. And it's, there's, there's a small period of time where you think like that's going to be enough because it almost seems like they have the upper hand on him, but he's Thanos. You can't ever count him out. 
And the next thing you know, it seems like they're all down and out. And the scene comes with the hammer. I'm not going to go on and on and on about the audience reaction because I've talked about it a thousand times. But I remember like a fool with my jaw. I had to pick my jaw up off the floor when he got that hammer. It's such an incredible moment, but not just because you get that money shot of Cap and you realize that he is worthy because you have to be worthy to lift Mjolnir, but this also pays off on the Avengers and Age of Ultron. Yeah, I think we're thinking of the same thing right now. Because, yes, there's the party scene in Age of Ultron that we all had a laugh over and we all love it when he makes it budge and Thor just goes white in the face that somebody else has the potential to possibly lift this thing. But I'm even thinking back to Avengers when we're really... Well, we've gotten to know Thor in his own film, but this is the first time where Iron Man, the Cap, and Thor come together. Tony and Steve have just gotten Loki from Germany, and they have him on a ship. They're transporting them, and what happens? Clunk. Thor's on the roof, and he takes his brother back because he wants him to answer to Odin. Right. So battle ensues, and the first time that we see the hammer connect with the shield it decimates the trees around them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Tony's making all the jokes because Thor's still speaking the old old English and yeah. Tony's taking jokes of, and ribbing him about Shakespeare. Um, but you have that, that crazy moment. So you know how powerful these two things are when they come together. And now that the cap can operate both, I just love that it's not a moment for him. They brought so much full circle that they have been teasing for yeah. two films now, and it's incredible. And it, and it took this much for him to become worthy. Right. Because that's the thing. He made it budge, but he wasn't worthy. Now he is. And the fact that it, it took this much to get him here, yeah, it was just fantastic. And then on your left, which you talked about just those lines that just hit every single time. I still get chills. And, and honestly, more so now, because we because we no longer have Chadwick Boseman. Oh, and he's the first one through. He's it's, the first one through. It kills you. Oh, my gosh. But it's an incredible scene. And, of course, the crescendo is Avengers Assemble, right? He teases it at the end of the first film where he says Avengers and then it just cuts to black. So he finally says it. And it pays off. You know he's going to say it. And it... it it hits anyway. Especially because it's not just that everybody got back, but it's these these characters that we've been following for 10 years now. They're all together in one space and just as powerful as on your left is when the portal comes through with everybody who was on the planet with Thanos and the kid comes through last. I mean, that's when... The audience, I, re- I remember in the theater, it went from loud applause to just a total eruption. People lost their minds when Spider-Man came back. Yeah. As well they should have. Uh, but it's it's just such an incredible moment. And 
you know, they do a couple of, of long shots in the battle where you get to weave through all of these smaller battles that all of your heroes are having. Uh, then they start running the gauntlet through like a football. I love it. You get this other money shot of all of the Marvel ladies lined up when they're going to protect Peter getting to getting to the van. Yeah. Is it pandering? Yes. Is it awesome? A thousand times yes. Uh, it's just great. And then one of the other points in this battle that for me brings it to a screeching halt is when Wanda shows up. And yes. she is one of very few people that can actually handle him on her own. Right, because she is one of the most powerful beings in the universe. But he doesn't even know, know who, who she, she is. Ugh. It is savage. And on first viewing, I was kind of like, wow, that's just so pure evil that she means nothing to him that he doesn't even realize. And what you forget is that he hasn't even met her yet. He hasn't killed Vision because he's 2014 Thanos. Yes. So it's such a layered line of dialogue. It, ugh, But it hurts. It does hurt. It hurts a lot. Um, yeah, I think that was a great scene. Yeah, it was pandering a little bit when they all get together. Um, but... It was still great. It was still powerful nonetheless, pandering or not. Especially because Pepper's in on the fight now. And I know. She's crushing it. See, to me, the best part about this is Peter and Tony. That to me, their their reunion and oh, Mr. Stark and I got snapped and and then it was like, hey, it's five years later. We meet us and then the glowing yellow things. It, like it was it was so good. And he just and and Tony just hugs him. And it's, oh, this is nice. This is nice. This to me is the, this is what I waited almost three hours to say. It's great. It is great. And then we get what is the absolute perfect ending for Tony. When he gets those stones and he, the last words he really speaks is, I am Iron Man, which is obviously how he finishes the first film but he says it with such conviction i mean robert downey jr this was probably the even though it's only a couple of words i think it was the best line he ever delivered in any of the movies that he had been in just um, because the, the look on his face the way he played it i think this was this was the cream of the crop I think the way that he played it comes from he's devoted not just I mean the Avengers have been going on for 10 years. He's he's been in this way longer. Right. Um well no, 2007 Yeah, within so 12 years. Yeah, so a little bit longer than everybody else. But um I think that's a lot of the actor coming through knowing that like this journey, this chapter is coming to a close for him. Like, yes, there's still going to be cameos. Yes, they can time travel. I'm sure we'll see him pop up somewhere else. Maybe, hopefully, even in Loki. Um, you know, I, I'm sure he's got these video clips planted in places. So it, is this the last time we're ever going to see Robert Downey as Iron Man? Probably not. But 
I think he realizes that he's not going to be the mainstay and that this is the passing of the torch. And I think that that's why it comes through in such a powerful way. Is it my favorite line from Tony? No, because I've called him Tony snark a million times. That's what makes him my favorite is, is just the snarkiness and the humor. Um, but I do agree with you. It is the most fitting ending that you could ask for. And it's what we should have expected. Actually, nay, I did expect it. I did say that when we uh, reviewed Avengers, that if they were to take him out, because there was, like we said at the top of the show, there was so much hype surrounding his death. What we should have realized is that he was never going to go out in some horrible way. Like it wasn't right. going to be Thanos. It wasn't going to be like a horrible, bloody death. We should have all realized it was going to be a hero's death because for as much as, you know, and we talked about it before, for as much as it's sending somebody else, I don't want to do it. I'm going to be selfish. He's always the one who goes in head first. So we shouldn't have expected him to go out any other way. Um, so it's so fitting and, then you get Pepper saying goodbye and telling him that he can rest now, which is not just a callback to earlier in the film, but basically their entire relationship that she's been yeah. trying to get him to be selfish and take a break. Yeah. And, and Gwyneth Paltrow, fantastic. She was really, really good. I mean, she sold it. She really did sell it. Um, and then you get this funeral, and they they bring back everybody, right? I mean, even the kid in the garage from Iron Man 3 is there. I mean, they bring everybody back, and they have the proof that, Stoney, that Tony Stark has a heart, and they, they put it on a wreath, and they send it out to the lake. Let me ask you something. What was worse for you, personally, this or the Ravenger funeral? Oh, I because to me it's a I, to me it's a no brainer which one is worse. I'm more personally invested in Tony, but I think the Ravenger funeral is actually a hundred percent more of a hit, right? A hundred percent. Because here's the thing: I did not even get choked up when we saw Endgame when this happened. And I think mostly because you were sort of anticipating it and because when it did happen, I was like, you know what? Good. Like, that's that's how it should be. Like, that's such a good ending. But when when you get the Ravenger funeral in Guardians of the Galaxy, I was sobbing like a fool in the movie theater when it happened. Because you didn't know it was coming. This you did a million times over. And if I was choked up at all, which I, I believe I was. I honestly don't remember, but I, anytime I'm sad about it, it's because the journey is over and because they've passed the torch onto, what are we in phase four now? Yeah. Um, I'm going to miss this where it's the cap Iron Man, Thor and Hulk at the core of everything. Right. Which makes sense. Okay, um, let's talk about some of the character arcs here. And where we're leaving everybody. Um, I mean, listen, Tony and Black Widow, I, you can't get any more final than that. Um, <laughs> but I think good on both. I, I think it's good on both. I mean, I don't think there's anything else that you could have done with Tony. It's, it's not that you want to see him go, but the story's over. I, I appreciate 
as much as you don't want to see him die for the sake of making a good film and ending this the right way, I appreciate that that's how they tied it up. It's heartbreaking because for, for Pepper and Morgan, because she, I think she always knew this was going to happen that he was short lived for this world because he was never going to be able to rest. Right. Um, Thor, the Asgardians of the galaxy. Um, I like that he passed the torch to Valkyrie. Um, I don't mind that they left it open-ended because we know that we're getting another one. Yeah. In Banner's case, though, we don't really know what happens to him. And I only realize that as we're discussing it now because he sends Cap back. You have to get every stone back to the original timeline. And then the, sh- the focus shifts to Cap. And I'm... I'm thinking about it right now and it's like shame on you Marvel because haven't we already mishandled the Hulk enough? I mean, I know everybody hates the Eric Bana version. I liked the Edward Norton one. I, I thought, thought it was, it was good. good. Yeah. But you swung and missed again on the Hulk because you had two movies that didn't do so well and we finally got it right with Mark Ruffalo. And now what? Yeah. It's kind of just there. We I don't, don't have the Avengers campus. He doesn't have Nat. He's not going back. There's no Asgard, which is where he was hanging out with. In Ragnarok. In Ragnarok. Right. I don't know. Um, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, I don't think we're getting another Hulk movie because I just don't think I don't think they do well. I don't think the Hulk is an Avenger. People like him. I think people like Mark Ruffalo. I don't think people care about the Hulk enough to go see a Hulk movie. I just, you know, the fact that I thought, yeah, the Eric Bana one was horrible. Um, I thought the Edward Norton one was really good, but nobody really cared. Um, But I guess it's when you're up against Iron Man, Thor, Captain America, Spider-Man, you know, just throw a dart at any of these, the Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, if you ask nine people out of ten, they're going to answer something different. You know, than than Hulk. If you say like, "Hey, you can watch one movie right now," which one are you gonna? Maybe one person in ten would tell you Hulk. You know why? Because I think it's just an origin story at face value, and it doesn't have the depth that all of these other characters do. That's not to say that Banner's one dimensional, but as far as a standalone movie, it it lacks the storylines that the rest of them have. But it's a shame that like, we don't know where he ends up now. We literally don't, we see him in the last scene. We know he's okay, but we don't know what he's going to do now. Right. The only thing that we can hope for is that we're either going to see him pop up in the next Thor and he's at new Asgard or, and I think that this could be really interesting. um, They have alluded that when they sent Hulk out the Bifrost, and he ends up at Ragnarok, that the Bifrost is acting the same as the uh, quantum tunnel, tunnel the yeah. van. So there is an argument now that Hulk could end up in Loki because we're not sure if Loki in Ragnarok is Loki in real time or if the Bifrost does act as time travel, if it's Loki now from the series that he could dip back into Ragnarok. Yeah. So, so there, what people are saying is that it could be five seconds of real time, but 
Hulk actually could have been on Ragnarok for like a hundred years or something like that. Gotcha. Um, far fetched, yes, but like I, I would hope so, so that we can see some sort of finite ending for him. Yeah, just give us something. I mean, finite endings, other than the two characters that died, I don't think anybody had a better ending than Captain America. It's perfect. He, it, no, it's not. It's imperfect. It, mm. I'll tell you why. It's it's perfect, but his timeline the timeline makes no sense. Oh, okay. I will give it that. Like, yes, him going back for Peggy makes sense. This timeline makes no sense. Let's I'm um, okay. Let's say it's okay. perfect for closure. It's I will agree for closure, with but the, the that timeline. he went to get a life and he says, I, you know, the nod to Tony. I went to get some of that life Tony was talking about. He got married. He he passes the torch to Falcon. Like all of that. All of that. Perfect. Here's the problem with it. He mentions that he went into the ice in 45. He says it in this movie. So that's 45. This is 2023. So it's 78 years after he went into the ice. And he's about 20. He's about 20 when he goes into the ice. But... That's when I was... Let's just keep a round number. He's 20 when he goes in. But when he gets thawed out, between the time he gets thawed to the time you get to 2023, that is about 10 years. It's, it's about 10 years. So we'll so call him 30. 35. 30. I just said it was 10 years. Yes. Sorry. Sorry. 30. 30 in 2023. Which would make him 108 years old. He would be 108 years old when he gives that shield over. And here he looks about 80. 80-ish. Yeah. That's the problem. The timeline, while it's a great, while it's a great ending, it's a perfect conclusion. This timeline makes no sense. Well, because he goes back to have his dance with Peg, right? Which so he, was he goes back to, to the forties, presumably to nineteen forty-five. The only way that this could work out is that if he dipped again in the eighties, because don't forget he does have the other pim particle. So let's say if he went to the forties, lived another 40 or 50 years with her and then jumped again. But even that is kind of ridiculous. But wasn't she still alive in the nineties? Wasn't she still alive in Captain Marvel? I didn't she have a cameo? I thought it was in Captain Marvel. Yeah, she was still alive. He would not have left her because now he's not going back because he just used the last of his pim particles. So he's not going to like lose the last ten years with her. He had two, so one to go put the stones back, or no? But right, then he would have had to, he would have had to use the second one. The stones go back to their original timeline, and then he jumped to the forties. He jumped to the forties, so he's out. He's yeah. out. Yeah, he doesn't have one to get back. Unless he stole another one from the base, but we are reaching uh, yeah, here. We're reaching. We're reaching. Yeah, uh, yeah. Who, who knows? I mean, it's possible, but now we're making things up to justify it, and I don't want to make things up to justify it in a movie. Great end for him. Questionable timeline. Uh, do you have anything else, or are we into our final say on Avengers Endgame here? 
I think we're into our final say. You okay. want to go first? I'm going to go first because this to me is, is the big hot button. It's the hot button question and it's sort of a hot take. The, the movie's spectacular. It's it's near perfect. It is a near perfect movie. The pacing is incredible. It does not feel like a three-hour movie. The acting is great. The characters are great. The end is great. But people ask, is it the greatest superhero movie of all time? My Batman bias really has me still leaning towards Dark Knight. And I think that Dark Knight is as good as it was when we saw it the first time. However, I think that people have grown tired of talking about Dark Knight. They're tired of talking about how good it was. So I think that it, they've almost become jaded towards the Dark Knight. Um, I would go so far as to say it's perhaps a 1A, 1B between this and the Dark Knight. Um, the Dark Knight has no imperfections. That's the thing. Like... Had it not been for this questionable timeline, I probably would have told you this was better. And I know that that's a really stupid nitpicky thing for a lot of people, but for me, it's not. Um, there are times where I don't think this is better than Black Panther. I think I think Black Panther, you could make a case for, at a minimum, is a top three superhero movie of all time. I think Burton's first Batman movie is on that list. I would go so far as to, as hokey and as cheesy as it was, I'd say the first Richard Donner Superman movie with Christopher Reeve and Margot Kidder and Gene Hackman, I think, is on that list. I think that the thing is, all of those movies, they, they're, also, they're also vastly different. Superman within himself is a little hokey and cheesy. He's like a Captain America. But that's sort of what the movie-going audience wanted. They wanted something off a comic book page onto film. You know, when it came to The Dark Knight, and, and yes, yes, with the, well, Burton's a dark, Burton's dark to begin with. He doesn't have a style. But he's dark to begin with. Um, but The Dark Knight is a super dark movie. But an audience in the mid-2000s didn't want colorful Superman movies. They they didn't want a colorful Batman movie, especially after Batman and Robin and Batman Forever. Although I did, I still enjoy Batman Forever. They didn't want to feel like they were watching a toy commercial come to life. So I feel like the movie-going audience, as they've matured, the films have matured, and I think that there's a different standard that you hold these things to. So it's almost unfair to compare this to the Donner Superman or to the Burton Batman because this movie doesn't exist without those movies. Remember, big, big, uh, big companies, big motion picture companies, they didn't, for a long time, they didn't want to touch comic book movies because they, it was a popcorn flick. Most of them were cheaply made. They were bad costumes and they were cheesy and it was a niche audience. It's not that way anymore because of movies like Endgame, because of what Kevin Feige has done with the MCU. But is it the best one? It, it probably is... But by a hair, I say no. And and, and not even 1-2. It's 1-A, one 1-B. One that's that's my lineage and that's my rant. What say you? Uh, I would agree with most of what you said. Um, is it in my 
personal favorite of the Marvels, yeah, 100%. This is probably my favorite Marvel movie. And I think the reason for that and, you know, it's what the success of the Marvel movies is, is that they do give you the flashy comic book come to life. They do give you the dark tones of what Nolan's Batman's have done they managed to roll that together with so much heart and soul and I feel like that is where Marvel stands out above the rest particularly this film um I had said it before and I have never said this about a sequel especially when it comes to franchise films I have said what I I hated when they started doing franchise films was that a film should be able to stand alone on its own. You should be able to go in for two hours. There should be a beginning, middle, and end. And you should not have to know all of this backstory because film is a visual medium and it should just tell you the story based on what you're seeing without needing to know all the characters. But Marvel completely and totally broke the mold for that because you do need to know about the characters. You do need to care about the characters. It's even like I, like I said with Hawkeye, he was never one of my favorites, but I ended up loving him after this movie. And I appreciate him so much more in Age of Ultron than I ever did because of this one. And, you know, one ties into the next and it's because of the attention to detail too. I mean, Everything that they have done has led up to this. There was not a, no pun intended, there was not a stone unturned. There was not a wasted piece of dialogue. There wasn't something that happened that they didn't completely deliver on. And the culmination of everything was just near perfect. You're right. Cap's timeline does make it a hair shy of being a perfect film. But I think what they did so successfully here is that they did give us exactly what we wanted as fans and they didn't sacrifice story to do it. And you really can't ask for a better ending on, on with any of these characters. Right. And we're interested what you have to say. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. What is your review? What is your say of Avengers Endgame? News of the week is coming up, but first a quick break. If you're thinking of booking a trip to a Disney destination, you have to contact Jackie Zalezi from Magical Vacation Planner. My husband and I recently celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary and wanted to go on a trip just the two of us. Jackie suggested Disneyland, knowing we'd never been and I had been dreaming of going. I am so thankful for her suggestion, as it was the most magical way to celebrate. Jackie got us a fantastic deal, but still constantly check for discounts to make sure we are guaranteed the lowest price. Having recently visited Disneyland, she was a great source for helpful information and had suggestions for everything, including meals, Max Pass, even places to visit in Los Angeles on our non-park day. Upon arrival at our hotel, we experienced the easiest check-in because Jackie had taken care of everything. Throughout our trip, Jackie was in constant contact, making sure we had everything we needed and answering any questions we had. Our vacation was perfect. All thanks to Jackie Zalezi from Magical Vacation Planner. So if you would like to go and see the Avengers Campus, or if you want to go to Walt Disney World in Florida, I can help you with both, but 
I would love to live vicariously through your Avengers campus trip. Get in touch with me through any of our social media outlets at Monoreal Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email me directly at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at magicalvacationplanner.com. News of the Week is brought to you by Karma and Kismet Designs. Kelly's, the products that she's got up on her website are just completely spectacular. If you're looking for branding, printing, graphic design, media kits, I mean, her specialty is Disney content creators, but she can do any sort of creator. You gotta go talk to her. You gotta see what she's got. Plus, listeners of the show do get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Be sure to go to the website karmaandkismetdesigns.com. That's karma, the letter N, kismetdesigns.com. Com. Everything you need is right there. Okay, news of the week. We're going to start with a little bit of Disney Plus news, and then I want to move on to some park stuff. Um, Sorry, before we get into that, I just realized where I got 35 from, because we were talking about this with Captain America last night. We had said he's about 20 when he went in the ice, 10 years of Avengers movies, and then a five-year time jump. Okay, so he's 113. <laughs> Okay, so it's does it's still not it's in fact it's worse. I was gonna say it's still not great, but that's where I was getting thirty five, but arguably between thirty and thirty five years old. Okay. Go ahead, sorry. Monsters at work. That is premiering on July seventh on Disney Plus. We got some new posters and new ads that were released on the Disney Instagram two episode premiere so they're going to drop the first two episodes on July 7th i love monsters inc i think the laugh floor at walt disney world is a ton of fun so i'm actually really looking forward to monsters at work yes while we're on the topic of disney plus and while we're on the topic of marvel you brought this to my attention I am rolling my eyes like the Tony meme right now. Okay. I will tell our listeners what happened and then we're going to unpack this because there's a lot here. Okay. So what they did, and we've said it, there's a reason that we have not reviewed WandaVision yet because we loved it, but they kamikaze the ending much like Dexter. And I would have been fine with the ending that we got. But then Kevin Feige comes out and says, well, it wasn't supposed to be like that. Doctor Strange was supposed to be there. We would have never known. Why would you tell us that? And what bothers me about it, and maybe this is just because I do work in the industry, I, you have to stand behind the product that you put out. You, you can't say, well, it should have been this way. It could have been that way. Because I hate when Steven Spielberg does that. Live with the art that you put in, out into this world. Right. There's no changes. There's no do-overs. Except what there isn't are. There? Oh. So what they did... And I am still trying to figure out if it's a mistake or if it's not or if it's the biggest Easter egg that Mar Marvel has ever done. What they did was they re-released the post credit scene in WandaVision. And we know that they rushed the ending because, like I said, Feige said it. They were supposed to have uh, Doctor, Doctor Strange. Strange. Yeah. So... It's possible that some other things weren't done, like a layer of rendering. And what they did was they punched up the color in this scene. And in doing so, now there is 
an invisible figure that's floating down the tree line. Now, some people are saying this is the Doctor Strange ending that we were supposed to get. I have seen other video editing professionals saying that when they did the color mix, they forgot to remove the keyframes. And what we're seeing is something that was supposed to be there, but they never rendered because they took it out. And it accidentally, this layer of video accidentally got mixed in with the color. Now, we just argued that this is a near-perfect film and, and Marvel did everything right except basic math when it came to Steve Rogers' age. So is it possible that they made a mistake? Maybe, but this is freaking Marvel that you're talking about. And this is why I'm so heated over this is because you are the golden standard of film right now. Do better if this is a mistake. It can't be a mistake. That's what I want to believe, that... I mean, you, you shouldn't be doing anything less than perfect. I don't care if you had to rush it or not. You shouldn't be putting it out there if it's not done. Everybody was going to watch WandaVision anyway. If you pushed back another week because you needed to do more post, well, then that's what you needed to do. You know, like, it happens. People miss deadlines. You shouldn't because you're Marvel, and we expect the best from you, and you should be delivering the best. However, with all of that being said, Marvel loves Easter eggs. Marvel has never done anything without intention. The Russo brothers sat in front of a set with the words Endgame behind them and nobody realized yeah. that that's what was going on. So, I mean, what I would love to believe that this isn't a mistake and that it's not Doctor Strange, I would love to believe that this is like Loki Charms that you had something happen and Loki is now shifting the timeline. And if that's Loki, I, I will pass out at, at the brilliance because this has caused such a stir over what is happening. But I, I really hope it's not a mistake. Neither do I. I hope that they are tying Loki into this. Uh, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It, I, I got nothing for you. Or maybe if not Loki, I mean... Just some, I, I, got, I just don't think it's a mistake. You can't make that big of a mistake. Well, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe they did. Okay. Parks-related. Thursday. Thursday is the day. Thursday's the day we have been waiting for for well over a year. The return of fireworks at Walt Disney World. The return of happily ever after they've been doing practice runs our friend lisa denoto glasner from the castle run she posted video that she took and i i you know she was very emotional and and just and talked about how emotional she was and i think that um listen she is as open a book as you're gonna ever speak to or meet or read uh, truly she is um and i i think that the way that she reacted is the way that ever that we all reacted when we found out that these things were coming back. I, I think it's going to be a very emotional evening at Walt Disney World on Thursday. She doesn't know if she's going to be streaming anything, but Lou Mangello is going to be streaming. Our friends Brendan and Catherine at Detour to Neverland are going to be streaming. I'm not sure if John Sicari is doing it, but I mean, the point is we our our nearest and dearest of disney friends they're going to be there i'm living vicariously through them 
at least a few of them are going to be doing the streaming. So if you want to be a part of it, it's not going to be hard for you to feel like you're involved. I know we are super excited about it. We're going to put it on the big screen with the projector and we're going to make a night of it. But it we're getting champagne. Yeah, legit. But with that being said, I can't believe it's been this long that we've been without Disney fireworks. It's weird. It doesn't seem that long. But yeah, and, and it just makes Disneyland being closed feel so much longer because we're sitting here complaining that we don't have fireworks. They haven't had their park. Yeah. But with all of that said, it's an exciting day. And not that I'm wishing my life away, but I really wish it were Thursday right now. Like I just can't wait for it to be Thursday so that we can see these fireworks once again. I got to say, our friends are all better than I am because if I was going to the fireworks for the first time in over a year, I would just be sitting there enjoying them. I would not worry about my audience. I appreciate that they do, though. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's... This is why we do a podcast and we're not about the parks. This, it, it speaks as much about us as it does about them. But definitely go and check them out and, and be a part of it. It's going to be a historic night one way or the other. Thank you guys so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on your podcast platform of choice. And actually, we're on Verbal now. New podcast platform that I've got to tell you, I've been playing around on it for a while. Um at least for the last two weeks. What I like about this app is that it has all of the features of a regular podcast app, but it, it they really do cater to like showing you as the user and the listener like podcasts. Like if you like monorail radio, you would likely find Detour to Neverland, for example, if you would not tuned into them before. And and they kind of have that really nice function. So if you if you're a person that likes to deep dive into things and find new things, I actually think that this app could be a lot of fun for you. And I don't like really sit here and do that often where I'm going to sit here and like jump on how much I enjoy something, but I really do enjoy this verbal. I think it's actually a lot of fun. It's a very cool platform because it's almost like social media within yeah. within a podcast platform and it's completely word of mouth. Uh, you can share the podcast that you like. So things are being showcased. Like, I, I guess that's it. There's less of an algorithm because you really are signal boosting what you like as opposed to a five-star rating skyrocketing a podcast to the top of a platform. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's definitely a lot of fun. And if you're into it, go check it out because I think you'll go down a rabbit hole real fast. But you can follow us on there. Of course, the social media, uh, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, at uh, uh, Monoreal Radio. And uh, you can email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. And if you need links to any of this, it's always going to be available online at monorealradio.com. Thank you all so much again. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.